Hello, and welcome to Furlough, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. As always, I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me again today is Stephen Otterstrom. And Stephen, we have a wonderful, dreary day here in the Mid-South. Uh, how are <laughs> things in your world today? Well, you know, it's it's still rather early, so I haven't seen the sun yet. Um, it does sound like you got it out there in the South, so <laughs> it's yeah. on its way. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, looks like it's going to be, looks like it's going to be a beautiful day though. Well, the days are getting shorter as we are in our fall season here. So it's, uh, kind of dark when you get up and dark when you go to bed anymore. So it's that time of year. The joys of seasonal depression, right? Well, (laughs) soon to come anyhow. So, well, at least it is beautiful right now. I, I have to say like the fall is, is generally one of the the times the time of year that I enjoy the most. It's it's kind of like things cool down just enough, but they're not quite as turbulent as yeah. as the spring. So, um, seeing some beautiful fall colors. I went up in the uh, mountains the other day, and mm-hmm. um, everything had turned golden brown. It was it, it was it was beautiful. But it did remind me that uh, we're in for some cold weather here shortly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just had a Facebook reminder just the other day reminding me that it was just about this time a year ago that we were in Ogden, Utah. So just down the road from you. <laughs> That's so, right. Some good memories there. So Yes, yeah. We had a great time. Um, boy, you know, but even talking about it from a furloughed perspective, because, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this for the first time, you know, we, we put together this furloughed uh, podcast um with, based on the concept that you have moments that just kind of define your life, that change who you are. And um, for us, a big defining moment was being placed on furlough, which you now have returned from that furlough. Uh, yes. And then I was I was laid off. So even from you know that perspective, none of us really knew how it was going to end up. But just thinking that a year ago, you were out here in Utah, and we were visiting, we went to the one of the best buffets out here, but one of the worst sounding buffets. The name of it is Chuckorama. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and now buffets don't even exist anymore, I think. Uh, maybe maybe somehow there's a, there's a COVID buffet out there. Uh, but how much the world has changed in that, in that year. Yes. Just yes. incredible. Yes, it's it has been amazing. In fact, I, I think we've got somebody that's going to share some insights with that. So, uh, oh, if you yeah. want to well, kind of do the honors, let's do that. Transition. Yeah. <laughs> However, just before we do that, I do want to just share a little bit of you know what happened in my week. Um, something that was was a lot of fun is yeah. um, we did our uh, with Upwards Unlimited. One of the things that uh, that they're doing this holiday season is recognizing that there are a lot of individuals who will not be able to have the traditional family gathering that they've had in the past, or there are people who will have to be absent from that, either because they can't travel or because they have compromised immune systems or, you know, trying to avoid um, getting uh, the illness, getting COVID. Uh, So what Upwards Unlimited has done is we've created a uh, course on how to host a holiday event and we got to um, do our very first class on that it's it's a free class it takes about 40 minutes and um, really shows how to bring interaction gamification and make a holiday event for your work or for your family that's a lot of fun so uh, if you missed out on that one we'll talk more about it later on but there is a um, there, are, there are many more available you can register through Eventbrite's um, this is really for everyone, so I, I hope we get some some more individuals in our next class coming up. So, all right, great. Now, I'll Shameless be sure plug. And put a, uh, yeah, I'll be sure and put a link for that in the show notes as well, Steve. So, thanks for the reminder. But going back to what you were talking about with our guest, we have with us today Gomi Supaya, uh, and Gomi is an incredibly interesting individual. Uh, she speaks multiple languages. She was educated around the world, around the globe. Uh, she worked in hospitality uh, for quite a long time. In fact, um, uh, I, I never had the opportunity to work directly with Gomi, but um, I did work directly with a lot of people who worked directly uh, with Gomi uh, during my time in hospitality. Um, she has been through a lot of the same things that many people uh, right now in the world have been through, as, as we've all kind of had a bit of this shared experience uh, with the global pandemic 
that has kind of been going across the country and and appears to be rearing itself, preparing itself for a a second wave that at least here in the U.S. appears to be less of a wave and more of a tsunami that um, uh, of cases as it as it begins to grow. So. Um, some very interesting experiences that we'll want to uh, hear from her. So without further ado, uh, Gome, welcome to our podcast. Um, and and maybe to start us out, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about you, about your history? Where did you come from? And uh, how did you get to where you're at today? Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Leonard. Um, <laughs> hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, my story sort of started off... Um, Growing up as a young girl in uh, Petaling Jaya, which is a satellite town just outside of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, where um, I was not uh, too keen on science. I was not a very artsy person. So I went to school pretty much in the art stream. We either had a science stream or an art stream. And uh, I, we were brought up in a... Uh, very much a convent uh, schooling system at that time. Even though I'm Hindu by um, uh, religion, uh, my parents uh, instilled in us that education is very important. So we went to school in a convent school here, right here in PJ. And um, I wanted to suddenly work in hotels. And I remember speaking to my mom and I said, I want to go to Switzerland to study hotel management. And she pretty much looked at me thinking, you know, what happened here? And she said, that, that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, too expensive. So, you know, you've got to rethink that. And, you know, fair point, because there was seven. I had seven siblings and mm. me being the sixth of the lot. And I had a younger brother. Um, so it became a rather expensive venture if every one of us was to go to Switzerland or somewhere. So I then took a step back and decided, okay, let me just see what's available locally and ended up doing marketing, public relations and advertising. And once I got that diploma, I decided, okay, which market or what industry would allow me to use these uh, things that I've learned and hotel was the answer. So my first job really in hotels was a telephone operator um, in a local hotel chain here, right here in Kuala Lumpur and did that for about three and a half years. And then, um, and this is a story that I tell everybody uh, about my upbringing, how I got into hotels and what propelled me from leaving that company to another company uh, was that my mom turned around one day and she says, your elbows are getting chaffed because, you know, you're a telephone operator, your elbows are always on the table. She was worried nobody was going to marry me. So it's like, oh, we've got to fix that. Um, so I went off and uh, tried to get a transfer and that didn't work out. And uh, this is where the race card comes in. You know, if you, if there is racism everywhere, it exists very much in our country also. Um, but, you know, in, in everything that happens, there's a good thing that comes out of it. Uh, because whatever that was said to me uh, propelled me to then move to the other hotel, and which ended up uh, me spending 30 years there and having the time of my life um, and 10 years here in Kuala Lumpur and then going off to Vietnam, um, seeing, uh, doing a lot of stuff like um, upgrades to system because my background was really reservations, front office, and then really finishing off as a director of operations. And then I dabbled into sales um and that was probably the biggest learning so if you go back to my story of um where i studied advertising public relations and marketing and you wonder when will i ever apply this when i moved to sales i really then roped in all the stuff that i've learned there and applied it 
uh, in right. my role as director of business development. So it's been a whirlwind of a of a time. But um, you know, if somebody says, "What would you do different?" I'd say nothing. I'd go back yeah. and do exactly. I'd be a lot more smarter about negotiating <laughs> my way through it. Uh, but it's definitely one of the best times I had uh, in my career as as a hotelier. And, and Gumi, it sounds like yeah. you've done an awful lot of travel during that time. So I, I, I was not really counting on my fingers as you were talking, <laughs> but how, how many how many different countries or cities were you in? Do you do you know just Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, Hanoi. Uh, internationally, it was Hanoi, Chennai, and Shanghai. Um, so all cities that ends with an I at the end. Well, trying to think if we'll ever get you to come to the U.S., but I don't I can think of any cities that end with an I. <laughs> We've no. got the state of Mississippi. Hawaii. I go to Hawaii. Hawaii. No, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of states. And that'd be the to. closest travel, yeah. too, from where That's you're right. at as well, That's I guess. Right. So yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, it sounds like you you encountered a lot of different cultural um, perspectives. I mean, I, just in just in listening to your story, I mean, you've you've got this person who uh, your your religion is Hindu. Yes. But Catholics um, are the ones that are teaching you, yes. and I don't know if you had to, you know, if there was with that that kind of that Christian education or that um, infusion of the religious side of it. But certainly, you had to navigate those worlds. Um, and then you you lived in multiple different cities in multiple countries, um, and you also were in hospitality, which hospitality is kind of just like bringing the whole. I, I remember the the properties I worked at. I I would often talk to um, our new hires about how every language in the world has been spoken in our lobbies, and I'm sure the same uh, where you've worked. So. Tell me a little bit about. I'm very curious about this this cultural navigation that you've you've had to do. Um, even it appears from your story that there might have been some traditionalism and kind of your modern view on how you want your life to run and maybe yeah. how your parents wanted it to be. Tell me about how you navigated some and maybe continue to navigate all of these cultural this cultural diversity that yeah. you kind of were you grew up in. Um, you know, being in Malaysia, I think Malaysia is a melting pot. Uh, mm. I mean, besides the fact that we've got the Malays, the Chinese and the Indians, and we sort of lived, uh, you know, around each other quite well. Uh, racial tones always appear, you know, you, you always say it in jest or, or whatever. But we, you know, we are pretty easy people, Malaysians. We are, we are the cooler Singaporeans, as a Singaporean friend told me once. <laughs> You know, we are, we are pretty chill out. Um, and for me, working, um, having grown up in PJ, my mom, uh, my, both my parents are third generation Malaysian. They were born here in Malaysia. Uh, their father, their parents also were born here. So it was really my great, great grandparents who were from India, from the South. And so when my mom grew up, my mom, um, you know, uh, when she was starting up house and she got married to my dad, um, she, she, was, she was, I call her Indian snob because she said, oh, no, we will not stay anywhere where there are too many Indians because then you're not going to broaden your mind. So we, our neighbors were always uh, fellow Malaysian Chinese. And that's where I grew up understanding Cantonese. So it was easy for me. And this story, uh, uh, just remind me again uh, when we get to Shanghai and I'll tell you about a little story there between the comparison of India versus Shanghai. Um, and so navigating, going into hotels for me was, I was the only person among my seven siblings that went into hotels. Everybody else did computer science and the different stuff. I was the only one that went into hotels. And by the time I got to my assistant executive floor manager role and front office manager role, I was putting in a good 16 hours a day um, in the office. 
uh, to a point where my mom used to come and visit me in the hotel so that she'd see me because I was still living out of the house and I go back so late. And I, by the time everybody's up, I'm already back in the office. So as a, as a young girl working in a hotel, um, people have all kinds of connotations about it, but my parents were really super supportive. And having worked in, in a capital and working in a hotel, which was the first international property to open in Kuala Lumpur, Literally everything that happened, happened in that particular hotel. So we got a variety of, you know, we had the Tina Turners of this world. We had Eric Clapton. Um, <laughs> and I think we had a Secretary of State. Uh, I don't know whether it was Reagan's time or it was Bush's. Uh, George Schultz. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. I remember sitting at the front desk uh, at my assistant manager desk, you know, I was just sitting there tapping away and, Suddenly he came towards me and I greeted him and he says, would you mind if I sat down here? I'm ready for my car. And I said, go right ahead. And then I just went on doing my stuff. And I was multitasking as you do, picking up phones, changing reservations. And at one point, he, uh, I stopped doing it, everything that I was doing. And I just looked at him and said, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm not doing it very well. He says, no, you're doing extremely well. And then he taught me a colloquial i think it's what do you call an american colloquial term where he says he, he gave me a piece of trash and he says can you deep six this for me and i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to do in the bin dear in the bin <laughs> there you go deep six uh, and yeah. that's one i hadn't heard in a while either right? just for the record <laughs> so so and, and i love that and i think that's the story about you know why I loved working for a hotel because every day yeah. you come in, you've got, you know, pages full of stuff, but you also have another blank sheet of paper, which pretty much fills itself up as you navigate through the day because you get hit from all corners. Um, and we had so much, I, I cannot go without, um, saying that I've not had one moment of not having fun. I think the only time in my career where I didn't have fun was when I got transferred to reservations where I just hated the, the whole yeah. role, even though I grew up in reservations. But once I got into the front desk, I hated going back away from the customers and talking to customers on the phone. I wanted to be in the front meeting with the customers. And um, that's where you pick up the language. You, you know, I could say hello in a few languages. I could, you know, pretty much tell a Japanese guest where the elevator is completely in Japanese and to say, please go in, uh, all in Japanese. In Gomi, it, it, it sounds like, and of course, I've worked in the hotels myself, so some of this I do know, but with your upbringing, you talked about your mother being an Indian snob, as you described yeah. it. So it, it really sounds like from, from just your family perspective, and then now even hearing your own personal uh, personality, it sounds like just the excitement or the joy of that diversity and uh, being exposed to different people and different ways of doing things it sounds like that really is, is a pleasure to you it, uh, and I, I know for myself when I my first hotel experience you know we had you know somebody was from Nigeria somebody was from Germany somebody mm. was from Italy and you know you, you work with such diverse teams and uh, even here in the United States you know and so it just really for me it began to give me some exposure that I never had growing up in the United States. I, I grew up in a society and in a city that looked very much like I did. And so that gave me some exposure to a global audience that I, I might not have encountered quite as easily otherwise. And it sounds like you adapted real well to that. And, and it sounds like you very much thrived on that excitement and the energy of that diversity. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, from from the general managers, because they're usually European, most of the general managers that we had. Uh, but we also had a lot of the chefs that came in um, that were, at one point, it was just usually Austrian pastry chef 
or German executive chef. And that started changing a little bit throughout the course of the years where we started getting a lot more local team members. Uh, because I think that that's probably one of my biggest uh, takeaways, if anything, as we navigate through this time that we are in, where the need for us to tap onto local talent um, as we go through life. And, and I remember going to Vietnam, Hanoi, as a front office manager, and my first call of action was to sit with my duty managers, the middle managers, and I had four of them. And I said, okay, guys, this is where we're going to, how we're going to do this. I've got four of you guys, and I'm the front office manager. And over the next one year, I'm going to train every one of you to be able to take over my, my role. Mm-hmm. Because I believe this should be a local role. And yeah. navigating that culture for me, was important because I don't want to be that, you know, uh, that expat that comes in and says, okay, I know it all and I can do it best. Um, and, and given the fact that that was my first international posting, I went in blind. It was literally, you go in, uh, the only thing I got was my VP calling me the day before I departed to say, well, good luck with everything and go, you know, shake it up and uh, have fun whilst you're at it. That was it. And so I I had to go in with whatever management skills, but, you know, just a little bit about the people that you work with. And I don't know about you and Steve. Um, I, I'm a huge believer of working with as many different general managers as possible, because there are skills that you can take from that. Um, and they yeah. shape your management style. But if you just work with that one GM, and I've got a lot of GMs who tend to bring their people whenever they move. Mm-hmm. And that kind of irritated me a little bit uh, because I find that you're limiting the team members' growth mm-hmm. yeah. because they're not going to learn new management styles. So. Yeah, especially when you're you're in those in a in a market that's big enough, you know, for people to bring their people with. I I've noticed the same thing, and I I remember even you know with the different general managers that I've worked with uh, throughout the years. You're so right; they're all so different, but each one was actually effective. I never worked under one yeah. that I thought was just incompetent or didn't know what they were oh, doing. Oh no, yeah, but for they sure. were so different in their ways, and I think I think that's one of those things. And and, and you being this this person, I, I that that just thrives off of diversity, yeah, uh, cultural or thought diversity, or you know, and you know, and it's interesting because it, it seems like, and again, you know, for those of us here in the U.S., <laughs> not that the U.S. isn't diverse, it it certainly is. Uh, but there is this sense of we we already got it right here in the U.S. <laughs> we already know how to do it. Mm, mm. And so there's almost this thought of we want to share our knowledge with the rest of the world, whether they want it or not. Um, well, I think, and- here, I think here in the West, too, though, Steve, is regardless of how diverse we are, especially in the United States, we still have that common thread of being on the same continent. And even as diverse as our continent is, you know, we still have that commonality. But when you're exposed to people from the various walks of life in other countries, it's, you know, uh, because one one of the jobs I had, it wasn't a hotel, but it may well have been. Uh, You know, we had refugees that I worked Mm -hmm. with. And so that was my first exposure to known refugees. But technically, the the ones that I worked with in the hotel were refugees as well. And, uh, you know, so it gave me a much greater appreciation uh, because I I never had to flee my country. (laughs) You know, if I left my country, it was my own choosing. And so that that's some of the diversity that I don't think most Americans really uh, can grasp hold of Mm. because, I know statistically they say mm-hmm. children in America go to bed hungry, but I, I think if you were to travel to India or if you were to travel mm-hmm. to some places in Africa, you would understand hunger a little bit different than how we define it here in America. And that's well, that's one of the importances of that exposure of diversity as far as 
I'm personally concerned. I'll well, get off my soapbox. I'm sorry. It's one of the things that's I think beautiful about hospitality, yes. you know, is that like you say, you know, my, my first uh, job um, in hospitality was of course at a call center, but even there it was, it was probably a more diverse environment than I had ever experienced. And mm-hmm. then when I moved into hotels and, you know, you, you'd start talking to the housekeeper and find out that they were a surgeon <laughs> before yeah. they, they fled yeah. their country oh, yeah. and came over here. Yes. And, um, and in fact, yeah. I never found anywhere um, a group of people that I, I feel like you could walk into the lobby of most hotels in the in the United States, go down to their housekeeping department, and you could write a book that would bring tears, make you laugh, make you, you know, from all the different stories that are down there and the diversity that the hospitality industry brings. And I'm sure that for you, Gomi, that was a big draw and, and your ability to navigate that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, India was probably one of that where every single person that came in for a job had a degree, even if it's mm-hmm. just, you know, the stewarding or the housekeeping or the engineering department. Um, yeah. They're so learned. Um, and that's really staggering. And and China, the same thing. And, and Vietnam, I perhaps probably was the biggest because 30% of its population, uh, no, 70% of its population was under the age of 30 when I was there in 2001. Mm. They didn't remember the war. You know, you go out on their national day uh, and the hotel was located right where the opera house was, uh, is still. Um, And what we blasting out of... um, the speakers as they prepare for the stage and stuff would be Eagles Hotel California. And I'd be sitting there and I'm thinking, what is going on? (laughs) America left its mark, I I know, right? Uh, Well, you know, at least it was the Eagles, so I'm not complaining. Um, But then you speak to every single one of them. Um, I call that their beavers, their hungry beavers. They're just wanting to learn and do better and um and and get up ahead in terms of where they want to be and the country is doing extremely well it's was one of my happiest time and i'm very very lucky that my first foray into the international one was hanoi uh i remember a friend said before i went got on a plane he says you might as well just give me the phone because they're only using Moscow there and I just laughed at him I'm like oh bugger off you know because I was going into a country where there was no fast food no McDonald's no Kentucky Fried Chicken no Starbucks Mm. nothing it was (laughs) your local Vietnamese coffee and your fur and when I got there and I'm saying thank god because their food was delicious their coffee was amazing um and they make the world's best baguette outside of paris i can tell you that for a fact right really yeah you'd stand in the lobby and you'd look out and you think it's a picture postcard because you see a woman on a bicycle wearing the conical hat wearing the national dress the auzai and she'd have a basket full of flowers in the front and the back and then behind another lady who'd be walking with a basket on the head and when she's put her basket down and she opens up the jute that was covering it, it was just steaming hot baguette. Uh, crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. I mean, I could go on and on about that. <laughs> Food was, you know, uh, my... You're making me hungry. Right? That's yeah, the other good thing I about hotels. <laughs> <laughs> Best hangover meal. A bowl of hot steaming fur, guys. I can tell you that I had more than one of those moments where you just had the fur was the best thing. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, now that you've got our mind wandering with all this international uh, conversation and our mouths watering for the food here, <laughs> one, of, one of the things we did want to talk about, too, is, is you were stationed overseas as as we would say here in the united states Uh, you you were just a little bit closer to covid when all of this began to unfold 
And so I think it'd be interesting to just, if, if you would just share a little bit about uh, your experience, and I know we talked briefly before the recording began, but share just a little bit of your experiences of when you began to recognize it, and of course, clarify where you were at the time, and then what impact did it actually have on you as well, if you just kind of go that route and unpack that for us a little bit. Okay. So, so first though, where, where were you and what, where were the ripples that you were first aware of yeah. before you get into the impact? Yeah. Okay. So I was based in Singapore um, at that time when COVID started making its rounds. And uh, I was looking after the hotels in Southeast Asia and I had my colleagues who were sitting in China who was looking after our hotels in Greater China, Mongolia. And, you know, we, we all got our whispers through BBC and CNN of what was going on in Wuhan. Uh, but things really started sort of showing up over the Chinese New Year period when the Chinese government had the entire state of Wuhan under lockdown. And that was pretty much ground zero for COVID. Um, by that time, we were sitting here in Singapore and we were looking at our numbers our hotels were just operating as normal. There was no ripples, you know, business was slightly down because there were a few of our hotels that were dependent on Chinese um, source markets. That was a little bit less because people were not traveling as much as possible. But the Chinese New Year period is usually where the largest movement of of Chinese folks, either within China or outside for Chinese New Year. They'd go away for the holidays and come back. That was not happening um, for us. So I thought, mm, okay, let's see what else is going on. And then we start hearing the ripples of uh, some of our hotels being temporarily closed in China. And by the time sort of February came in, this was post-Chinese New Year, I remember I was preparing one of our hotels, um, uh, planning it to do a temporary closure. That's when I remember, that's probably my aha moment because I was sitting here in the office and I'm thinking, how is it that all our hotels are getting shut and I'm not being impacted? That was probably my biggest aha moment. I'm like, it can't be possible that I'm sitting here and I'm taking my paycheck and it's not affecting me. I probably thought about it too much that it became a reality because um, what was, I think it was March 17 thereabout um, when uh, I think America probably first started getting its ripple of stuff that was happening and that affected the rest of the estate for us. Um, because I was sitting in the corporate office, our entire division was funded by our hotels in, in the American estate and the franchise estate in the rest of the world. So I knew that uh, I saw the writings on the wall, so to say. Mm -hmm. So I mentally prepared myself for it. Uh, and we had a lot of conversation amongst our division, um, speaking to the VPs and stuff. And, um, but it really bothers me because one of the things that I always thought about is why is it that we kept a lot of what was happening in China so quiet? Yeah. You know, uh, even the news, the newsreels were not so great, right? And yeah. if we had taken whatever China was doing in Wuhan and applied it right across, we could have come away from it. So there are lessons to be learned, um, I think, from how we are handling. I mean, here in, in Asia, uh, in, in Singapore, I mean, uh, Singapore went into a circuit breaker is what the prime minister called it. Um, and the circuit breaker um, was pretty much, um, you can't go out shopping because all the stores were closed. The only thing that was open were grocery stores. Uh, mm -hmm. But the Singapore government came in and said, we know you need to exercise. So you can go and exercise, but you can only exercise with somebody within your household. 
So, you know, I Singapore is a very small state. I, in fact, when this all started and we were working from home, I was already in my head thinking, okay, there's going to be something that's going to affect me. And it may be that I may be let go or I may be furloughed. So my head started thinking about, okay, what else can I do, you know, uh, to keep my brain active? And I remember I said to my friend, I said, you know what, if if the company says, you know, go, so you're going to have to go and take time out for three months and help save us, um, I thought I'd find a way to walk Singapore. It's a small mm-hmm. state, you know, do a big walk around Singapore. And I was trying to track that down and seeing where there are rivers and streams where I can't walk across and how to get there. But I ended up just doing a lot of walks. Singapore is a great walking city for anybody who was wanting to visit Singapore. Nothing like uh, the crazy rich Asians. Yeah, maybe a little (laughs) bit, but really it's far better. It's far better. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's just there's so much of learnings from this whole debacle. I think that's the best way yeah. to sort of say it. Well, and if I'm, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that, you know, the biggest failure was the failure to learn from others. And, and that certainly rang true, I think, around the globe and, yeah. and, and over here in the U.S. Is, is I think our biggest failure is we somehow thought that what was, and I remember kind of feeling this way We when I watched on the news and I saw that the Chinese New Year had, essentially been canceled yeah. and that people couldn't go out and, yeah. and, and, and celebrate as they had in the past and, and the lockdowns that were happening, it was kind of like, Oh, well, that's something that's happening on the other side of the world. Yeah. And um, not realizing that something like a virus really won't be contained. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to find its way. I mean, it can be contained. We're learning that. Yeah. We're learning that, you know, and, and actually it's almost like we knew that already, but um, here in the U.S., what seemed to happen is, um, you know, we're, we've got all these 50 different states yeah. and until it hits in your state, no, you know, it's there's this feeling that I'm in the special state. I'm in the yeah. state that it won't hit, that it won't yeah. touch. Yeah. And then it, and then it does. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually, it, even here in, in my state of Utah, um, the virus hit a lot harder in the capital city in Salt Lake. And um, all of the re- surrounding areas said, well, you know, we don't need masks. You'd need masks because yeah. you have the virus, but we don't need it because we don't have it. Yeah. Well, now it's spreading to those other places because yeah. had they started wearing masks at that point, it wouldn't it would have been contained. But it was like in, until they had it, they couldn't believe it. Uh, that it was that it was a real thing, and yeah. I think that's common in the human experience that we have the ability to learn from others, but we generally just want to learn. I guess. Yeah, COVID. COVID doesn't care who you are. COVID does yeah. not see color. COVID does not see race. COVID does not see class. You know, I remember when Tom Hanks got it. I'm like, doom. Even Hollywood's <laughs> not exempted. I'm like, they're going in for the jugular, right? <laughs> so COVID's not racist. COVID just goes in. It's a- anybody's fair game. Yeah. Um, Although we have found in the U.S. that minority communities and and yeah. have been hit much harder. You know, so I I do sometimes worry COVID might be a little bit racist, <laughs> or at <laughs> least. Um, <laughs> at least yeah. our class system makes your ability yeah, I think to survive our class it. Class system is the one that's driving it. Yeah. You know, see, uh, you know, running water, mm-hmm. um, soap. You know, uh, if they can't put food on the table, do you think they're going to get soap and water? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just um, and even just the closeness that you, that in some places. Yeah. You, you cannot get the social distancing. There's not yeah. the space that would need to exist. I think it's interesting to look at, you know, you've got the poorest of the poor. Um, and, and, and I know when it was really ravaging through Brazil, you know, they, they, the morgues couldn't keep up with it. And, and a lot of the, the poor individuals were, were suffering the hardest. And then we have like in the United States, when our president got it, he, he received you know, special treatments earlier yeah. than anyone would get them that yeah. hadn't been approved yet yeah. by the FDA, but scientists knew were working. And, you know, you really just see this inequality in the way that, um, 
And I think that that probably is true around the globe. Yeah. I'm curious your perspective. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I don't know of anyone. I mean, whatever happened in the U.S., I mean, it just, it's, it's new stuff that comes through, but it happens, you know, under this current administration. But um, if you look at talking about, you know, uh, I, I was very fortunate. I lived alone. Uh, but in Singapore, the HDB flats, you've got extended families living. Mm-hmm. So when the circuit breaker hit, people were going bonkers because there was no space within their house where they could have a room for themselves because they could be sharing space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? We are... <laughs> Fortunately, I, 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 had, I had eight people in my home, Gomi, but I have Whoa. a lot more space than yeah. what they had. Yeah. And I can testify, you know, we've, we've, you know, you throw in the political environment and a lot of things uh, yeah. happening in the United States on top of it. And I can certainly attest it's, it's been strenuous. And, and uh. I know, you know, we're no exception here. I, I think, as Steve said, I think part of our human nature is, we always want to pretend it's it's not going to impact me until it happens. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, in a global world, we we've seen terrorists for years and years and years, and then we have two people get killed in America, and we think it's the end of the world. Yeah, you know, because we have so little exposure firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so COVID, I think, has taught us we're we're a little closer to the rest of the globe than what oh, we maybe yeah. thought. Yeah, were. yeah. And I I think the other thing that I want to talk about is, um, you know, keeping that brain active, particularly when you're one who's so used to meeting people and, you know, having a glass of wine. Um, Yeah, Zoom Zoom cocktail hours are great, but seriously, guys, I don't want that. (laughs) It's nice to see you guys, but I really want that face-to-face. I want that tactile Mm -hmm. touch and feel, having a glass of my wine, you know, having a friend right across the table. Um, And so I I sort of had to, you know, really kick my brain into high gear. So I did go into uh, my sourdough starter and I baked a few breads and my sourdough starter has come has gone as far as France. That's the latest one. So I gave my starter to a friend and she also lost her job. And so she went back to France and she's now sitting in France and she's baking sourdough bread from the starter that I started in Singapore. So that's my, like, yay. (laughs) So instead of COVID, we'll spread sourdough. Yeah, that's it. I'm all for that. I love love sourdough. That's great, go me. But what, yeah, it, it definitely that that mental uh, uh, practice of keeping that mental strength yeah. going, like you yeah. say, is so yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, growing a plant, you know, putting seeds into a pot and seeing it sprout. That was some of the things that I did when I was in Singapore, and then when I had to pack up, I then had to settle my brain into. Oh, I'm going home. I can I can self quarantine at home, and then the government said, "Nah, that's not happening," because they had a couple of uh, folks who decided they were not going to do that, and so we're going back into hotel quarantine. So I came back on August first and ended up straight in a hotel room. Luckily, it was one of the nicer hotels next to the airport in Kuala Lumpur, and I was there for 14 days in a hotel room. I'm so used to that living in a hotel room, but not when, (laughs) you know, you want to go home, your things have arrived and you want to settle up your house. But I had to then, um, I planned it in such a way. I had my yoga mat, um, had my iPhone, my Apple TV gadgets, plugged it in, TVs worked in a hotel room and said, you know, you make do with what you can. Um, And so 14 days. And those 14 days, you you could not leave your room, right? Could not leave it, my room. The only time I could was, leave my room was a prison was to, cell. Yeah. <laughs> well, posh prison cell, mind you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I opened my door and there was my food that would be hanging out. And I'd take that in. So you've got your three meals a day. Uh, oh. If you want to change your sheets, um, you had to do it yourself. And 
I decided, okay, let's do this. Let's change the sheets because I needed to also keep the brain active. So I changed my sheets every two days. And then I remember I, I pulled the bed and I think uh, the way it was finished, there was a nail that was sticking out of it and it sort of scratched my knuckle. So I wrote a story about that in LinkedIn. And that was the time <laughs> where I felt my heart go out to housekeeping team. It's <laughs> back breaking labor, trying to change a sheet on a, in a hotel room bed because it's and, heavy. And you were only changing one. I was only changing one. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, and I remember, you know, many of the housekeeping departments that I, I worked with, um, you had um, a lot of these older ladies that, you yeah. know, uh, and I remember one time just, I, w I wanted to cross train with housekeeping. I wanted to learn how it worked mostly because I wanted to say, how do they clean so much so fast? So maybe yeah. I could make my house clean. But um, I, I remember spending half a day in it with this older lady, you know, she was well into her uh, late sixties and um, you know, uh, she, she was just by, by the first break, I had to find other things to do back in my office. Cause I was like, I can't do this the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. Amazing what, what people can do. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to one particular one that I want to talk about, which is our, we were, we had to help housekeeping because we were completely overbooked and housekeeping was a bit short staffed. So we were all sent out to the floors. And I remember going up to the floor and I said to that lady, I said, okay, this is what we are doing. You're going to do the bed. I'll do the toilets. <laughs> a lot easier <laughs> for me to do the toilets because I was not going to do the bed. It was back breaking. And I remember we used to watch our housekeeping team members who come to the cafeteria. They are the only ones when we were doing um, cafeteria duty where we were serving them food, they got the bulk of carbs. Like it's big ladles of rice because they needed it because they were burning it uh, when mm -hmm. they get back in. Yeah, so, you know, housekeepers out there, my heart goes out to them and my hat's off to them. Oh, yes. And that Tough even goes job. out to, let, let me just say to all of you who travel or one day will travel, um, neglecting to tip your housekeeper oh. is no different than neglecting to tip your waiter. So Absolutely. remember, remember, you, you should be doing that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, it didn't used to be the thing. And it's, it's, it's become an, uh, you know, part of, I think, what's good etiquette when you travel, uh, but, but something that not everybody knows about. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well said. So we've, we've talked about a lot of different things uh, today. And I think one of the biggest things that for me is kind of a takeaway um, from your story, Gomi, is one is like, let's be diverse. Let's not just um, accept diversity, but let's seek it out. Uh, let's find opportunities to look around and see who we associate with and then and then let's grow uh into a wider network of, of of people with different perspectives and different views so that we can learn from them rather than have the experiences ourselves um and also i think another thing that i i take away from your story is just the the value of one recognizing that um, while we seek out diversity, there are great things happening in the localities right around us. You know, as you were talking about in Vietnam, um, I think one of the things I took away from that is we often think we need to bring in the best and brightest from somewhere else because yeah. we assume that the best and brightest doesn't exist right next to us. And the truth is, it probably exists right next to us. I, I remember even, in, again, working in hospitality, we would so often um, want to um, hire someone from outside to come in and fix a restaurant that wasn't, you know, making a lot of money, or we want to bring in a special engineer that worked at another place, only to find that person only lasted a few months. And we had someone with greater talent or greater drive right there amongst us. So don't forget the things that are right beneath your nose as well as something I got from that, that, that story. Um, Really enjoyed hearing uh, from you today, Leonard. Did you? Did, what, what, what were some of the things that you you're going to take away from, yeah, from today's no. conversation? Yeah, thanks, Steve. No, I I just uh, go me again. Kind of echo what Steve said. I I love the way that you your family have embraced diversity and and I, I know when I think of 
the way you're describing your upbringing and the way you describe working in the hotel with all these folks from various places around the globe, uh, it, what comes to mind is just this explosion of color uh, is mm. the best way to describe it. And I'm not talking literal color, but just that sensation of uh, how it, it catch, catches us in the awe of seeing all that diverse uh, explosion, for lack of a better kind of a pictorial image of it. And I do think that's great. I know it certainly energizes me, Gomi, and, and I know that's one of the things that's so attractive about the hospitality industry. And then, too, just like you, the ability to learn from those folks as well, you know, never assuming that I know the absolute best thing, but to just hear from the folks around and, and the, that collaboration, working together with them. And you always end up with something so much richer and so much better. So, uh, fun and stuff. I want to make sure that before we we end today, um, I just just realizing we haven't heard anything about what you're doing right now, and uh, you're doing some pretty cool things. Um, you've you uh, since you uh, left. Or like me, you found yourself uh, in that laid off situation yeah. that you've since basically started your own organization that's doing some pretty amazing things. And I'd, I'd like to just actually hear a little bit of, about that before we, we close out today. Thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I going into hotels, you, you knew I was going to do this for the rest of my life. But, you know, as you go through year by year, you always think about, when are you going to give up? When are you going to give up and do your own thing? I've always wanted to be my own innkeeper. I wanted to own my little 10-room hotel um, and, you know, uh, do some cool stuff and have people come over and stay and, and stuff. And that's still the dream that's still out there. But in the meantime, I decided I was going to put my money that I had saved to some good use. So a couple of friends of, uh, of mine and I, had uh, ventured into a franchise business. And so we actually run a mailbox, et cetera, franchise out in KL. Um, and it's been operating for about a year and it's doing quite well. But at the same token, I'm also very much into giving back, um, coming to KL and seeing the service industry. I find that the service industry team members are not being trained. So we wait staff makes a mistake, I always tend to find where the manager is because the fault is not in that staff member, but it's the manager. So I want to be able to sort of go into local uh, orphanages or youth hostels and sort of give my time pro bono to help them out. So that's one of the things that I'm working with a friend in KL. And also from a charity standpoint, we are also trying to do some activity with uh, local orphanages, um, particularly over the period of festivities. So you've got your Chinese New Year, your Hari Raya, Deepavali is just around the corner and Christmas is around the corner. These homes are all sort of running on very low. They uh, wait for handouts from organization and i tell you a lot of them will not be getting the same amount so this year we're trying to put a, a plan in play to sort of work with organization and we try to also work with different organizations so we're spreading the joy a little bit um and talk about that so i'm very excited for that um you know keeping that brain busy over this period of time i'm very fortunate i'm in a comfortable time in my life laid out here got a roof over my head but so many people don't have that so uh, I'm working with a lot of like-minded friends to see how we can help out uh, but I also have a lot of like-minded friends who are into um, getting that cat rescue and the dog rescue so we are also doing a little bit of that so um, the furry friends and the two-legged ones, you know, we're all in it. <laughs> There's so it much that like, we can do, right? <laughs> it, it sounds like in, in response to what are you doing now, I'm saving the world. <laughs> That's it. World peace is coming. <laughs> yeah, I just need to get the now, cure for COVID, but hey. <laughs> now, if, if, if anybody uh, wanted to um, 
to help out in in the things that you're you're doing right now what would be a good way for them to do that um the the best way would probably be to dm me on linkedin um and uh but i will send you a few details of that so you could sort of plug it in we'll put those into the the show notes as well yeah 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 that's fantastic sure will excellent thank you well gomi thank you we definitely enjoyed having you here today and uh hearing your story as steve said it's just been really enjoyable so thank you and and thank you for the work you're doing now um you know being laid off for anybody who has not been there being laid off as you can guess is not an easy thing it uh it does tend to mess with the person's mind and uh some oftentimes mess with their spirit as well so i appreciate you uh directing that energy into some positive work. And I think you'll be the stronger, and I know you'll be the stronger for it. So I, I appreciate you doing that, not only for yourself, but for those folks you're helping too. So that's really great. No. And Leonard, if, if I you. can put in one more plug before we before we close out, because I could hear that tone in your voice that you, you were just about to, yes. yeah, no, you were just no, about to go right off and get your breakfast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, t- uh, two, two quick things, just a reminder. Um, at, at, uh, on the furloughed podcast, uh, it is a requirement. If you're going to keep listening to us that you go out and vote. Okay. You can still listen to us even if you don't go out and vote. <laughs> but for those of you in the United States, we've got an important election coming up and we even did a podcast on voting. So if you're wondering how to vote, please go back and take a look at that podcast that we, the main resource we shared with you was vote.gov that if you put that in, uh, you can find out all the information you need to about registering to vote and where to vote. In some places, that window has closed, I believe. I think there are a few places where you cannot register to vote anymore. Most you can, uh, but again, that's a narrowing window. There are a few states like mine where you can register to vote up to the day of the election. Actually, you can go into your polling place, register and vote, but that is few and far between. So if you want to take this opportunity do your civic duty. Uh, please go to vote.gov. Uh, in many places, you're already voting. Have you already been able to vote, Leonard? Um, I don't know if I've been able or not, but I haven't. Okay. I'm just going to sit here and wait for election day. So. <laughs> well, I got, we have, <laughs> I'm let um, it come to me. <laughs> we have universal mail-in voting in Utah. So um, uh-huh. I actually got my ballot in the mail. We've done that for several years. It's not actually a response to COVID. It's just the way we've always done it. Not always done it, but it, for the past, past few elections we've done it that way where every registered voter is sent a ballot and then and then we can fill that out and i've got mine here in front of me uh so by the time we talk again my vote will have been cast well i did (laughs) i did pull up the ballot to see what was on it in mississippi so i can do my homework on some of those positions that i'm lesser familiar with prior to getting to the booth so yeah i I, I am making preparation at least it's another thing i like about getting my ballot in the mail it seemed like before that i'd I'd always be surprised and be like oh i didn't do it (laughs) exactly this amendment or that you know (laughs) that was an unfunded (laughs) yeah you know your auditor on the ballot by the way just throwing that out there what Kanye is on the ballot. Is he, that what you he's said? on the Mississippi ballot. Yes. Oh my! He, he yes. didn't make it to the Utah one. <laughs> well, Kanye I'll send West. you a PDF version of the ballot, but you can't use it to vote with. <laughs> <laughs> well, that well, that's exciting. It, did he actually start the birthday party that he? Uh, no, no, I forget how he was listed, and of course, I don't recognize his running mate either. But we'll we'll save that for our conversation. <laughs> we'll see if we can get Kanye on on our our. <laughs> on our podcast to to give I his do believe you had another announcement before we go way down before we go way down that road uh the other announcement i i wanted to and i said this at the very beginning but just a, a very sincere invitation to join us um on one of those trainings on how you can host an amazing holiday event on zoom um or you could apply it to other platforms as well but the platform we're using is zoom We've got some really great ideas that can make this a lot more than you sitting in front of a camera trying to, you know, get get the younger kids <laughs> um, involved. Uh, this has some gamification. It has ways to incorporate the use of your phone as well. So you can do like things like trivia games. We'll show you how to do how to build um uh, you know, little works of art that you could keep or pass out, how to take your family photo. Uh, there are a lot of really interesting and fun ideas 
uh, that we would we would love to share with you. There's no cost. This is just something Upwards Unlimited is doing to um, try and help out during this holiday season when there's going to be a lot of people who are going to need family but won't be able to be with them. So please join us. Plenty of slots available. Uh, you'll register on Eventbrite. There is uh, a link that will be in the show notes as well. Yes, well said. I will definitely get that in the show notes. And in addition, last reminder, as always, we want to thank Upwards Unlimited for sponsoring our show today. Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, Upwards Unlimited. And it is a training consulting company that can help you and your teams improve your conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. And with that, folks, we'll go ahead and say goodbye. We look forward to seeing you again here next week. Take care. Bye-bye.